2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as workmen, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. Heavenly Father, help us to accurately handle the word of truth. To respectfully, honorably, wisely be faithful to you in your word through Christ, I pray. Amen. Accurately handling the word of truth. That word handling literally means to cut straight, to hold a straight course. Uh, the visualiz- visualization of that is the idea of clearing all the obstructions. No deep holes that your bike may have to avoid. No giant boundaries that block your way that have to be moved out. The assumption here with accurately handling the word of truth, of course, is that truth is objective and knowable. It is not subjective. It's not just personal. It's not so obscure that it can't be known. But the truth is defined by God's character and communicated to us through his word. God's character is righteous and loving, and therefore his word, when accurately handled, teaches us what is right and what is loving. That's good to remember because one of the fiery darts that Satan likes to send our way is that fiery dart of doubt. Well, everybody has an opinion. Who's, who has the right to say who's right or wrong? I guess we'll just have to disagree, agree to disagree. You know, who's to say one person's view is really better than another's? And maybe it's true that one person's view isn't better another, than another's. But the Bible is truth. And the Bible is often enough clear. Everybody's opinion doesn't ultimately count. God's view is what ultimately counts. And that's what's being stated here by the Holy Spirit through Paul when he says that we need to be diligent to present ourselves to be approved by God. When we deal with truth, it's too flippant just to say, oh, you know, I guess we can just agree to disagree. Well, everybody has an opinion. No, we live to be approved by God. And therefore, we don't just say, oh, it doesn't matter what I believe, no matter what you believe, let's just agree. We have to say, oh, it really doesn't matter what God says. And that we rightly handle the word of God so nobody is obstructed from worshiping him as he deserves. There's no obstruction to knowing him, no obstruction to loving him and to loving people as he intends us to Now, the good news is God has communicated himself clearly enough through the Bible, so clearly that he actually expects to be understood. Again, we live in this, in an age of skepticism that uh, kind of people pride themselves in, oh, you just can't know. Well, you just agree to disagree. In the book of Revelation, for instance, you see this phrase repeated more than once as found in Revelation 2, 29, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The implication of that is, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, means you ought to understand this. If you listen with 
understanding ears, you will hear and know what God is saying. It's not just one person's opinion is, is equally valid to another. God expects us to hear his word and to understand. That's why the book of Revelation end, ends with the words in twenty two eighteen. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anybody adds to them, God will add the plagues which are written in this book. If anybody takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. God says, don't add to this book. Don't take away from this book. There are serious consequences for that. Live to be approved by God, to use the words of 2 Peter, or this of 2 Timothy, because God expects us to know his word well enough that we don't add to it or take away from it. So it's not just your opinion is as valid as somebody else's opinion. It is what's God's belief, what's God's truth. We need to understand what he is saying is true and right and good. So the Bible doesn't pull punches when it makes it clear about rightly handling the word of God. God's word is precious. It is his word after all. The challenge, though, is that it's also common. Every year it is the best-selling book in the world. And many people who've never opened the Bible, who've never really understood it even, will have it in their homes. And the danger when something becomes so common like this is that it loses its preciousness that people don't treat it with the holy respect it deserves. In healthy cultures and generations, people handle God's word with great care. But today, so often, it is handled carelessly. How often have you turned on the television only to hear some politician or journalist quote from the Bible and distort it? Well... You know, didn't the Bible say, well, no, actually, the Bible didn't say that. Well, you know, my Jesus is a loving Jesus, and my Jesus would never, oh, the only problem is the real Jesus actually did. <laughs> the, real, the real Jesus actually did say harsh things. The real Jesus actually wasn't all Mr. Rogers all the time. Even worse, of course, are the theologians and scholars who talk about the Bible and lead others to be skeptical when they don't really, they don't even believe the Bible themselves. There, a long time ago, they quit believing that the Bible was truth. And yet they will still call themselves theologians and distort it to lead other people down their blind path. Um, we see this recently actually in Russia where the Russian Orthodox Church is distorting scripture to back Putin, you know, to justify Putin. It's the danger of when church and state get mixed. Turn on the History Channel or PBS, and it's easy to find experts from people like the Jesus Seminar being interviewed as though they are to be taken seriously. The Jesus Seminar, by the way, is a group of self-described scholars who have determined that Jesus probably only said about 20% of the quotes attributed to him in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
one popular man that they like to interview is John Dominic uh, Croson or Croson or something like that, and Marcus Borg, by the way. Um, these scholars reject the resurrection of Jesus as myth. They reject as myth the virgin birth, all the gospel miracles, a full 82% of the teachings normally attributed to Jesus. Now, they have no historic evidence for their conclusions. Their conclusions are based on their own predetermined biases, their own assumptions. They simply reject these things because they don't believe supernatural things happen. They don't believe in the supernatural. And since they don't believe in the supernatural, then anything supernatural that Jesus is, that is attributed to Jesus isn't Jesus. And therefore, Jesus isn't the Son of God and is not God and isn't Savior, wasn't resurrected. Just throw out all of that stuff. It's kind of interesting. The only two words that they accept in the Jesus Seminar, they accept as authentic in the Lord's Prayer is our Father. The rest of them, they say, Jesus didn't really say. And to be honest with you, I won't be surprised if it's not long before they say our Father was you know, patriarchal, and Jesus probably didn't say that either. Listen to Jesus' warning. Uh, listen to God's warning for us found in 2 Peter chapter 2. My small group was, was, was reading this recently, and all of this actually is to lead up to this. False prophets. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there, also, there will also be false prophets among you. Um, Peter has just written about how um, when the prophets of God wrote scripture, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that what was written was the word of God. They were carried along by God. In con by contrast, he then says, but false prophets did arise as well. And there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly... Um, introduced destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. That doesn't mean swift in timing, but it means it's sure. Okay, sometimes we use, sometimes the Bible uses time values to communicate assurance. That's what that is. They're the bringing swift destruction on them. It doesn't mean, don't, don't, don't read that out on the, on the clock. It's kind of like if I say, I'll be back in a minute. You're not looking for me to be back in... In, in, in 30 seconds, no, in, in 60 seconds, you're saying, oh, he'll be back soon, right? That's the swift destruction thing. Many will follow their sensuality and because of the way of truth will, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. I love that. Their false prophets, notice it will say, will be among you. Often we think of the false prophets being out there, but he says, no, 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 um, the false prophets will be among you. Sometimes they're among us as health and wealth preachers, you know, just, you know, just pray and God's going to give you all the money that you need. God wants you to be rich. Sometimes they're false faith healers. My professors call them prophets for a profit. Peter says, uh, watch for the false prophets among you. See, sometimes they're in even in our small groups. Often, sometimes they're people who mean really well, and they just start to get off the path, and they follow a path that leads them to teach things that just are not true. 
What do they teach? They teach destructive heresies, it says. Heresies are not just a matter of a difference of opinion, by the way. It's not just bad teaching. You know, if I were to say the New Testament practices socialism, that's bad teaching. Okay, that's, that's, not, what, that's not true to Scripture, but it's not a heresy, per se. It's ignorant. It may be hurtful, but it's not heretical. Heretical teaching undermines the gospel. Heretical is false teaching about the nature of God that's destructive or the nature of salvation that is destructive. Heresy, for instance, is teaching that Jesus isn't God. Heresy is to teach, as some do today, that everyone can be Christ as Jesus was Christ. Heresy is to teach that we are saved by works And therefore, everybody is saved, even without Jesus, because they're basically good people. Only the really bad people, like Hitler, don't go to heaven. Therefore, this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you see, are uh, uh, superfluous because you can be saved without Jesus. That's heretical. Ancient heresies, like Gnosticism, taught a whole bunch of different false teachings, like, for instance, that the body is evil, the spirit is good. Therefore, you can sin in your body, and it doesn't matter because your body's evil anyway, but as long as you're good in the spirit, you see, you're, that's what really matters. That's Gnosticism. That was, an, that was a heresy that was rejected. And by the way, whenever you hear things like the, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of, of Peter, for instance, or the Gospel of Mary, those are Gnostic Gospels that were rejected because of teaching heresies. Another form of heresy today is denying God's order in the home. See, when God portrays his relationship with his people, Old Testament and New, he pictures it as the relationship of a husband and a wife. You see that over and over again. That's why the Old Testament prophets challenged the people of Israel for playing the harlot. That's why you have Hosea, for instance, and God using the, his marriage to his wife, his wife as, a, as a metaphor for relationship with him. That's why in the New Testament, in Romans chapter, um, in Romans chapter se- uh, 7, the beginning of chapter 7, you see God's, you see marriage as as, uh, as being an example of God's relationship with us. Or Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's talking about all this marriage stuff. He says, oh, I'm talking about Christ in the church. The marriage relationship is a sacred relationship. Believing in homosexual marriage, not husband-wife, as God intends, but... I was thinking, that is a heresy because at the root of it, it undermines God's picture of his relationship with his people and substitutes it for sin. Um, now, we need to avoid two extremes. The one extreme is that we tolerate heresy. People in that group um, will, you know, kind of like people in... Um, uh, teach things about the Bible that are heretical or borderline heretical, and we just kind of accept them. Uh, you know, for instance, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, people can't change. It's like, no, that's heretical. Actually, God can... Are you saying that God can't do the impossible? God can do the impossible. It is 
heretical to say God can't change people. You say, would well, a leopard change its spots? Yeah, without God, the leopard can't change. But God can do the impossible. At the same time, we need to practice humility. So on the one hand, we need to be careful about tolerating heresy, but we also need to be very careful about practicing humility. We don't need to be going around as heresy hunters. What we need to be is aware because the Bible says that Satan is a schemer, that Satan is not, that, that, that uh, Satan might uh, not be out, not outwit us because we're not unaware of his schemes, it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 11. So uh, we need to be careful that we're just not tolerating heresy and refusing to call it what it is. At the same time, we're not going around trying to hunt down heretics and find heretics behind every every uh, every, uh, every door. Um, now, what I want you to notice is what Peter, how Peter describes these false teachers. Verse one again: False teachers, prophets uh, will come among you, and there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bring swift destruction on themselves. First, they're among you. Um, don't just think they are going to the cults or they are on television. We need to be careful that when we are in our Bible studies, that as we're discussing what is God saying, we're discussing, what is God, not just what am I hearing, but what am, what's God saying here? Let's, let's put this in the context of the rest of scripture. Um, there, uh, um, uh, they are among you. Second, they are clever. They secretly introduce destructive heresies. And again, what's a heresy? It's a destructive thing, right? It destroys, it undermines our understanding of God. It undermines our understanding of salvation and, and the gospel. But the idea is that they introduce false teaching secretly, subtly, alongside the truth. They don't openly deny the truth. They just add to it. You see this in the cults all the time. The Bible is not enough. It's got to be the Bible and the Book of Mormon. It's got to be the Bible and the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy. It's got the, it's, or, or humanistically today, it's like the Bible and um, humanistic teachings, um, you know, popular teachings. Um, the, they bring alongside. Always be careful with the gospel and... Um, it is the danger in the Catholic Church of the Bible and the authority of the Vatican or the councils or when the Pope speaks ex cathedra. No, the Bible is our authority of God's words. Um, and there's no and to it. Um Verse 2 follows that they, it says that they follow their sensuality. They have an emotional appeal. They appeal to your emotions. Their teachings make you, I mean, how can you say no to love? This is the loving thing to do. Um, number two says they, adds they malign the way of the truth. In the process of denying what is clear histor historical biblical teaching, they then malign the church. They malign historical teaching. You can't define man and a woman. Homosexuality is love. It's narrow to believe that Jesus is the only way. You know, the universal designated hitter is a good thing. All of those heresies that are, that are out there. But the, um, 
but, but be careful when somebody starts bashing the historic, historic Christianity, the historic church, and all of a sudden they have these new teachings that are popular in the last 15 years or 10 years that were never believed by the historic church. Notice their motivation is greed as well. It says they're, um, they follow their sensualities because of the way because of them, the way of truth is maligned, and in their greed, they exploit you with false words. Now, maybe their greed is money, but usually their greed is pride. They want to exploit your vulnerabilities so you will believe them, so you'll follow them. It's the greed of having people, um, you know, champion them in their cause and follow their lead. But the bottom line is that their judgment is sure. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, their destruction is not asleep. In other words, it may look like they're getting away with something, but they're not. Their destruction, their judgment is building up over time. I share all of this because there's a man in our group named Ray who um, inspired this whole devotion. Ray isn't just a chef, he is a celebrity chef. You may have seen Ray on the Discovery Channel um, more than once, but we were discussing this passage in 2 Peter chapter 2 this past Friday, and Ray made this observation that I just think is golden. He said, regarding the first three verses of 2 Peter 2, the gist of this passage is likened to a recipe. Churches are like restaurants. They all feed the soul, but their menus differ greatly. Take the recipe for hollandaise sauce, for instance. Egg yolk, clarified butter, lemon juice. Now, some restaurants use these ingredients, but then add their own touches. A little Dijon mustard, a little tobacco, a Tabasco, not tobacco, ugh, Tabasco. Maybe whole salted butter. Maybe, you know, a little bit of something else. But he says, hollandaise sauce is hollandaise sauce is hollandaise sauce. Once you start adding to it or taking away from it, you may have a sauce, but it's no longer truly hollandaise sauce. You can't genuinely call it hollandaise sauce. This is the point of Peter in 2 Peter 2. As Christians, God has given us a recipe for truth in the Bible. Now, some will add to it, and some will try to take away from it. But as they do, you may have some kind of religion, but you don't have the truth of God. You don't have the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have the true nature of God. So our job is to stick with God's recipe for true hollandaise sauce, not to add, not to take away. So faithfully handling the word of truth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that it is dependable. We want to be approved by you because we've handled your word as your chefs. Not adding away, not taking away, but just being 
honest with your word. God, help us to be humble with ourselves, allowing you to teach us. We repent of those times we've added to or we've taken away from because of our own biases, our own emotions. But Lord, we recommit ourselves. We want to be approved by you. We want your word to be absolutely unhindered and powerful to change our lives and others because we are true to you. Through Christ we pray these things. Amen. Rightly handling the word of truth. See you soon.